yeah. should be leading as a father. I should be leading. But there was an yeah. aspect of me that didn't have the confidence to step up as a father for whatever reason. Um, mm -hmm. And so I was struggling quietly. Welcome to the Black Fathers Podcast, where we support, educate, and celebrate you, the Black Father. My name is Anthony McNeil, your host. I appreciate you listening to the podcast, but don't just be a listener. Please come share your thoughts and your views in our community. Go to blackfatherspodcast.com and join in the conversation. Let's get started. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the first episode of the Black Fathers Podcast. It's me, your boy, Anthony McNeil. Happy to have this gentleman joining me here on the very first episode. This gentleman is a lifelong friend of mine. When I first thought about doing this podcast, he was the first person that came to mind to have on as the first guest. He's a husband. He's a father of three. He's the president and CEO of Turner Healthcare Quality Consulting Incorporated from the state of Pennsylvania. I'm happy to have joining me my lifelong friend, Mr. Norris Turner. Norris, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, Tony. I'm doing fabulous. And I felt incredibly privileged the fact that you asked me to be a part of this and congratulations on on doing this and getting this launched and it's a real pleasure and privilege to be a part of this first uh first broadcast absolutely man like i said when the thought came to me you were the first person that came to mind and we'll get into all of that as to you know why with your background and everything but if this is your first time listening to the podcast, if you have not listened to the trailer or the bonus episode that I put out, I did this podcast because for me, I felt like there was this uneven balance in terms of the way that black men and black fathers are being portrayed in society and the media. And I just don't feel like there's enough coverage of us as positive figures of society out there. And I feel like there's this effort to demasculate black men. I'm I'm old school. And you know, growing up, my dad, you know, it was meats and potatoes and you do what I say or I'm gonna put my foot in your butt and <laughs> you know, I'm I'm old school like that. And I know times are different. I know times have changed, but I still feel like there's a place for the strong black man in this country. And I just want to do my best to highlight some of the, the, the great men that are out there being fathers to the children and, and, and are productive in our society. And Norris, real quick, before we get into some of the questions that I want to ask you, if you can just expand a little bit on your background and let the listener know a little bit more about you. Sure. So, uh, yeah, so obviously we know each other from high school, so I don't even know the number of years is pushing 40. <laughs> 30 plus. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely 30 plus, 35 plus. I think. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So even back then, you know, my interest at that time was to become a doctor. Um, I am a doctor, but not, not the kind of doctor I early on thought I wanted to become. I thought I wanted to become a medical doctor, but I'm a a pharmacist, PharmD by training, and also a PhD in science. That's my formal training. You know, I didn't go that far away from home. So we got to still hang out during my college years because I was right there in Ann Arbor. And then I decided after I did my PhD, which I did out in the Bay Area, and that's where I met my wife, Denise, and had two of my three kids were born out there. You know, so that's where I did a lot of my scientific training. And then, um, 
was fortunate to uh, have a career in the pharmaceutical industry for many years in the Northeast. So you mentioned I'm in the Philadelphia area in Pennsylvania. We were in New York for a while, uh, about eight years, and then now here for 15 years. So had many years in the pharmaceutical industry doing clinical trials. A lot of people probably know about those through the pandemic where we heard probably more than we ever wanted to about political right. trials. <laughs> and then um, um, I did a work, some work at a DC-based job that was policy-focused in healthcare. And um, the last two and a half years, I've had my own consulting business where I strategically advise pharmaceutical companies on um, healthcare quality. And there's a lot of different elements to healthcare quality. We'd have to have a different conversation about what exactly <laughs> my business entails, but it's to the pharmaceutical industry and trying to advance the, the state and the healthcare, the quality of healthcare in our system is what I focus on. Now, you mentioned the three kids. You have uh, two sons and a daughter. Um, age range? Yeah. So Victoria, our oldest, is 25. Julian is 23. And Jason, our youngest, is 20. Okay. Now, Norris's dad, Norris Sr., was a very influential person in my life. I always called him like my second dad. If you wanted to model yourself as a father figure, Norris Sr. was the man of, to model yourself after. And Norris, what, what was your relationship like with your dad growing up? <laughs> yeah, my dad, just like he was a second father to you, my father was a second father to many, many people. Even before I was born, like he was the second father to my older cousins on my on my father's side. And I would hear about these things that he would like take my older cousins, Eddie, you know, David, right? But these are yeah. David's older, older siblings, take them all kinds of places like skiing and playing tennis and doing other <laughs> things. Things that black folks would say, man, black people don't do that stuff. Um, yeah. He was taking people to do things like that, right? He didn't have money, but he would find ways, get coupons. So when we were born, I mean, my earliest memories were just doing a lot of things. I didn't go on my first airline flight until I was 18, but we had traveled all around the country. Um, mm -hmm. We camped. What black family in Detroit were campers? <laughs> well, the Turners were. And we had other neighbors telling us like, can we come with you? I mean, if we invited all our friends who wanted to come with us, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have room in our car. Yeah. But yeah, it was doing things like camping, you know, and you could just imagine all the quality time you have sitting around a campfire and crazy stories and things that happen. Alligators coming up on our campsites, the alligator tracks, <laughs> raccoons eating all our food, you know, but my dad was just such a, a presence um, in terms of, you know, doing things that brought our family together uh, through activities and also as being black. He didn't really see barriers to like activities that he felt like would be fun or good to expose us to and find inexpensive ways to do those like skiing and camp and camping and playing tennis. And, um, you know, and then just the times where he's just talking to us, not to yeah. mention, you know, my dad, like in our neighborhood in Detroit, everyone knows when the streetlights went on, this was, of course, good, good parents, right? Uh, <laughs> as, we, as we define good parents back in the day, you mentioned old school. I'm kind of new school and old school, but that old school part about like, you better be in this house when streetlights come on. So when those streetlights would come on, me and my brother, 
you you know, Julie, she's younger, but Mark, he's a year younger. So my dad had a whistle and it was, if we were too far away to hear it, the kids who were in the earshot of that whistle, they go, Gil, Mark, your dad's calling you. <laughs> and we get our butts home. So that's a little bit of my dad growing up, but he's an, an amazing husband, you know, to my yeah. mom. And so an amazing example and not just what he did in our lives, but how he was present in all kinds of other people's lives. Absolutely. And and rest in heaven, Mr. Turner. You. Is your parenting style similar or or different? Well, it's funny. Um, I mean, you know, we all get inherent qualities from our parents. You, Tony, probably see that in your daughters, like different things they get from you and Nikki. For sure. That some of you're like, oh, thank God they got their quality. And some of you're like, oh, they got this. <laughs> uh, you know, and so I got qualities for my mom and dad for sure. My father, he's um very much a people person. He could relate to anybody. And I think I got a lot of qualities just in general as a man from my father. And then also for sure as a father. Yeah. In your um, podcast, you talked about some of the challenging aspects, you know, with your father. And that's the most I had ever heard you talk about your father. I remember when your father passed and I could tell that that was a very painful time for you. And that's the thing. Mm -hmm. We love our fathers no matter what. But like, I didn't have that where I was like, oh, I have to, I have to try to be a way better father than I dealt with growing up, which, you know, we hear that from many people. My mom would say that. Um, with her father and so i was more like wow there's so many different aspects of how my dad and my mom are in particular my dad because you know he's modeling for me that i want to reflect in how i grew up it was just a natural thinking it wasn't like i have to overcome something it's just like a natural part of me like yeah i want to raise my kids kind of like my dad raised me yeah yeah that's awesome speaking of of, of raising kids and, and, and just hearing you tell your, you know, your story about how you guys grew up and doing things that normally black folks aren't exposed to, you know, and that was all a result of your dad one, wanting to give you that exposure. And it's unfortunate, but we know in the black community, the dead isn't always in the picture. And in your opinion, what do you see as something we can do as a, as a community to give black fathers and black men a better image. Well, there's a lot of course to that, but I, I try to boil things down pretty simplistically. And this goes a little bit back to how I saw myself as a father. When I became a father, Mm -hmm. you know, I was working hard. I remember when I was about to become a a dad for the first time with Victoria and I told my father, dad, I'm going to go buy a book. Again, there was parts of me that was just going to follow my dad's example, but there was other parts of me that was like, okay, how am I going to know how to do this? And I said, dad, I'm going to go buy a book um, that's about like how to be a good dad. And he goes, Gil, like, that's not how you <laughs> become a good dad from reading a book. So, so I had aspects of the example, right. That my father set and other positive role figures that I had around me in my life. So it was, was very blessed to have that, but there was still an aspect for me where I was like, okay, how do I do this? How do I be good? What's a great, really good dad. What's a bad dad. What's, you know, when you know you're on track or you're not. And so I was just going by 
whatever that example, but then I'm not my father, right? I have a lot right. of qualities of my dad, but I'm also a very different person in many other ways too. And so there was always aspects for me through the younger years with my kids that I felt like I was, um, you know, a good dad, but also parts of me that I felt like was inadequate in ways, um, nothing so dramatic, but I just felt like I wasn't measuring up in different ways. Uh, like having our family eat dinner together, praying together. Like a lot of things I felt like a man should do for the family. I wasn't stepping up and doing those things. And for me, I turned to my faith as a means to, and this gets to your question of what is it do you think that black men need to do uh, in order to be in a better place as fathers mm -hmm. in our society? The thing that helped me go from being what I thought was a pretty good dad. Okay. I wasn't a terrible dad, but I still wasn't showing up the way I really should to being mm -hmm. a much better dad. I mean, I'm not perfect, but is my faith. <laughs> um, I yeah. really, really took that more seriously. And I think when I look societally, we're not in the church. We're not in the yeah. church. We're not reading the word, you know, and that helps give us an orientation to things like fatherhood. But when you're just operating by, and this is my number one message to my children, I, you know, they don't have to do all the things I want them to do. That's fine. Or that I think they should do, or I'd like them to do, but I want mm -hmm. them to do one thing. And that is have the Lord in their life and have the Bible be their guide. And if that's yeah. the case, their lives will be fine. And when they are blessed to be parents, if that's, you know, God's will, then they'll be good parents. They'll be wonderful parents because God will be the one guiding them. And I feel like for me, that's where I am now. It doesn't leave me as a great parent, but it leaves, mm -hmm. it leaves me, I think, as a good dad. <laughs> and I feel like within a black community, if that was more commonly the case, it would steer us from the trouble we often find ourselves in and the behaviors that lead us to bad places and becoming really bad and irresponsible fathers. You know, it sounds like the solution is just so simple, but there is just so many things that just get in the way and people just stray or what have you. And unfortunately, we as a people are, are paying the price for that. And it's not just with faith, but it's, it's with a, a lot of things. Education, fatherhood is, is to me, my dad. And, and if you've listened to the, to my bonus episode prior to this episode, you've heard me talk about my dad. My dad was not a perfect man by any means, but my dad taught me a lot about being a man. And when I say I'm old school, that's where it comes from. You know, my dad was old school. He didn't believe he had to tell you that he loved you. His way of saying that he loved you was to put food on the table and clothes on your back and a roof over your head. Now, I wanted to break that because I try to tell my kids every day that I love them. I feel like that is something that they need to hear. I have two daughters. I don't have a son. But I think if I did have a son, it would be even more important for me to say it to him. You mentioned that you told your dad you were going to purchase this book. <laughs> now. As a new parent or as a parent, period, what would you say was probably your toughest struggle? So I was looking at my father's example and it was on some level consciously thinking about him as, as a person and his father and on some level unconsciously. And I was always feeling like I couldn't measure it. Again, I was not, I'm not my father. So Tony, you know, you knew my dad. So you know, all the things he did, the way he showed up in everyone's mm -hmm. lives. 
And I have an, I have elements of me that are that way, but I have elements of me that are not. And so I was feeling like I wasn't measuring up. Like, and so, like I said, like powerfully for many years, we, we'd be home dinner's ready. All right. Who's going to go down and eat whenever all over the house, right? Um, just different (laughs) things that I, in my head knew I should be doing, I should be leading as a father. I should be leading, but there was an aspect of me that didn't have the confidence to step up as a father for whatever reason. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I was struggling quietly, even though everything looked fine on the surface, I was there for my kids, very faithful to my wife and always trying to set a good example through my work and habits I have every day, showing up for them in their activities, going to parent teacher conference, all the different things that kind of, but it was the stuff like my father, he used to not kiss us like, uh, for many years. And my mom told me, and I never knew this, that his father, as much as he loved his father, my grandfather, my grandfather didn't really say, I don't know if he ever said it or if he did, it was very rare. Say, I love you. Or he didn't kiss my father. And my mom just told me the other day for the first time that there was a very distinct moment when my granddad was old to the point where he wasn't talking anymore. So he was like, close to his death around 90 and mm-hmm. my father told him i love you and my father had never said that to him um wow. and he could see in his in his father's eyes this reciprocation of that and that's probably if i had to guess around the time my father started saying to us i love you and he would kiss us and so i remember when i became a father there was times where i would have a hard time and so i do want to make reference to a book now, this book isn't the book that I got when I, you know, became a father because I followed my father's advice and I did not buy a book, <laughs> but this is a book <laughs> that I got from my youngest son, Jason. Okay. He bought me a book. He bought it, right? He's 20. He, he bought me a book and came in the mail. He said, dad, I'm going to buy you this book. Not so much because he felt like, oh, you really need this, but more because we talk about different issues and things like that. And he was like, black men need to read this book really all men and women, but black men in particular. And the book is called The Will to Change by Bell Hooks. And it okay. gets at things like, why can't we be sensitive, kiss our children, hug our children, cry, and still be a strong man? Our society, like you said, what's old school? We know what that is, Tony. We know all the ways it shows yeah. <laughs> up. And when you're a kid, as soon as you start showing signs of being sensitive, you get checked. You get right. checked by your father, by uncle, by neighbor, parents, by other boys, yeah, even by girls. So yeah, how do we strike that balance? We can be strong men, but also be sensitive. And that's what, you know, I think this book's good at. And I think if we can be move in that direction, we can all become better fathers. Yeah. And I'll put a link to the, to that book down in the show notes. Awesome. So go over and grab a, grab a copy of it and check it out. The interesting thing about everything that you just said for me was you always tried to compare to your dad. You felt like you weren't living up to his level. But the interesting thing to me about that is that you had that father figure there to set that example. Now imagine the young brother out there that don't have that to strive for, you know, so they turn to other influences And I think that's where we fall short in our community. And we start having all these problems when they start turning to the wrong influences. 
that was another reason why I, I want this to be more than just a podcast. I want this to become a community and I want to be able to have young brothers that didn't have a father figure or maybe becoming fathers for the first time to come to cats like you and I for advice. Yeah. Yeah. Because they may not have that male figure in their life that they could model or strive to be. That's why I, I did this because I, I want this to be more than just a podcast. I want this to become a community where, like I said, we can support, educate and celebrate black fathers. Man, you know, we all have sort shortcomings, you know, even with my kids, I, it was the same way. You know, I, I felt like I could have been there more doing what I did for a living. I was tired a lot. So I was sleeping a lot because I worked midnights and mm -hmm. afternoons and, you know, there were, I tried to make it to every function, you know, but I, I feel like I could have been there more when I was home and looking back, I mean, hindsight is always 2020, but once I recognized that, especially after I retired, I really tried to give my kids more attention and, and, and do things like Camden and my, my youngest daughter, Camden, she called me a couple of weeks ago and she says, I just realized something. She says, I've been on a trip with Amanda, our oldest daughter, um, Nikki, my wife, but I've never gone on a trip with just you and I. Hmm. So we're planning our first trip, just well, the two of us. That's awesome. That's really <laughs> yeah. cool. And that's really incredible. I mean, that's awesome, awesome in general, but the fact that it came from her is, yeah. is really, really great. I mean, and that tells you, right, that she values time with you and um, for that. And obviously the memories that it'll create will be amazing. Absolutely. But for yeah, sure. no, you're right about that part about, you know, we're not, and I thought about that, you know, leading up to this conversation about not everybody has a good father, a present father, not to mention a great father. And, you know, going back to that faith aspect, I believe that. God doesn't put us on this earth in the same circumstances. There's all kinds yeah. of people born into jacked up circumstances. Absolutely. But it doesn't mean that you have any less an opportunity for a great life, for a meaningful life, for yeah. you to learn how to be, if God blesses you to be a father, to be a good and a great father. Even if you were born into jacked up circumstances with a dad that's messed up or you don't even know your dad is. But for sure. But what's that path? Everybody's journey is different. And by you creating this community, this might be a source of that path that God's helping create for people like who yeah. don't have that example. So I just applaud you for, um, you know, for doing this because we need it. Thank you. Thank you. Let me ask you this. All the lessons you've learned over, you know, the, the time you've been a dad. Is there anything you would do over if you could? Well, you know, there was a I would have listened better and I would have been more respecting them and not trying to impose on them my thoughts about things they should be doing or the way they should be doing it. You yeah. know, I had a very profound thing happen. I was going away this, um, it was related to my work and it was a leadership training. It was, um, basically every aspect of your life was, was getting kind of exposed and discussed and everything. And so leading up to this training, they had us uh, have people in our lives kind of give commentary on us. You know, you would mm -hmm. basically send them a little questionnaire and then people in your life, if they chose to, they'd fill it out. So when I got to this training, many of the people in my life didn't fill it out because I didn't have that much. But I remember one thing from one of my kids, right? And it, it was from Julian. 
the reason I knew it was from Julian was because I know him and I knew that this would be Julian who would say this. But okay. what he said was, I mean, he said two things, but the one I remember was my dad, he talks to me all the time. You know, he takes me to my baseball games and I, we spend a lot of time together. He said, but he only talks to me about things that he's interested in. Mm. And if I had to do something over again, it would be trying to really understand what like, makes them tick, be with them, yeah. like give value to them. Not go, oh, let me talk to you about this. You know, I'm yeah. talking to them about what I feel like they should be thinking about. Yeah. He helped wow. me wake up to that. Wow. That's, that's deep. That's, that's, wow. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. Um, man, I, you know, and, and I'm, I'm thinking, cause when you said that, I started thinking back to conversations I had with my kids and I never thought about that, but I did the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I did the same thing. And, and, and you just saying that just made me realize that. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, we get woken up at different listen, I'm I just I just made my daughter mad at me the other day. Like she was really mad. Like she's yeah. like, you told this to somebody in our family that I didn't want you to. And you know, so I'm trying to because it's easy when you have children to not you don't necessarily think you have all the answers, but you don't give them the level of respect they do as a full human being. And mm-hmm. often as children, even though, yeah, you, you have to guide them a lot, we don't really respect them as persons as right. fully as we should. So their voice, their point of view, you know, the things they're interested in, they're trying to tell you stuff and you're not hearing it because you've got yeah. stuff in your mind. So my kids are every day, every month, every year, I'm getting woken up to something else. I'm like, yeah, okay. I got to be better. You're right. <laughs> and sometimes it's not them just saying it. I'm just realizing myself from how they react to me. Yeah. Yeah. Now I want to ask you about something that you've posted about on social media and that your son, Jason has actually written an article about. And I want every dad out there to, to listen to this because for black men, I think this is something hard for us to deal with especially with sons. And that was your son coming out to you. Mm -hmm. Can you just share that experience and what it was like for you? Right. Yeah, no, sure. So there was nothing that told me that, you know, not that we have a way of, they say gaydar, right? There's no way of necessarily knowing if someone's gay or not. Um, Mm -hmm. But there was nothing that suggested to my wife or I that Jason was gay. He was a senior in high school things along the way that just maybe gestures I would see him make. And I, and there was a part of me, and this is the old school part of me, Tony, that I thank the Lord that I, some held me from saying these things, but you know, old school Norris would have been like, Jason, that gesture, that's kind of, and we would have used some not very nice term, but not, Mm -hmm. that's not manly. That's, that's a nice way of saying it. But I never said anything, and I'm so thankful. So anyway, senior year of high school, he um, was an amazing day we had had early in the day. But then that night, he comes in to our bedroom, and I'm in the office off of my room, and he, uh, I hear him crying. And I hear him, it's a cry that when you know your kids, you know, you know different cries, something's wrong. Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa, what the heck? What, what is he crying about? What is in this way and so 
he had already handed his mom his journal and he must have told her read this so as i'm walking in she's reading the journal and she says jason you're gay now for me i had a combination of different physiologic but also my head my head was telling i'll tell you why my head was in a good place my head was like jason that's not even a problem like we love you we love you as much yeah. now as, as any time, you know, there's nothing that's going to change the function of this. So if you're ever worried about that, don't. So I was trying to reassure him. But while I was trying to reassure him with my hand around him, I was starting to sweat. If wow. you read Jason's article, it's going to say my dad almost had a heart attack. And that's because it looked like I was having a heart attack because I was sweating. It felt like I was going to faint. I was going down on my knees and I was like, okay, I think I'm going to be okay. But I was almost going to lose consciousness. And wow. I think it was because when I heard his cry, I was going into that fight or flight, like, whoa, something is going on. And then mm -hmm. when I heard this and this, like the way my wife read it and him crying, and then it was just so powerful. My body just took over. So it took me about five minutes or so to get myself wow. physiologically back together. But, you know, we were there for him. And, you know, the, the, the unfortunate thing that, I mean, I thank God for this, but he was contemplating possibly taking his life and he had his act together. Like he had yeah. so many things he was doing as leadership and example to so many other kids in sports and in art and in, you know, school board and the leadership and the government, student government. And yet, he was quietly suffering in that way. And that's what's, you know, we write about, he, he wrote a little bit about, it and I wrote about more recently, but he realized God loved him even if, cause he was afraid that Denise and I may not accept him and love mm -hmm. him the way we did before we know that he's gay and he was contemplating, you know, ending it all, but he knew God loved him. So that held him instead. And obviously when he found out, okay, here we are, we're loving him, right? No matter what his, his brother, sister, the same. And his friends are amazing. So he's in a, an exceptionally good place. Yeah, that's that's awesome. You know, in the black community, that's a subject. Not And I, obviously times have changed and it's more acceptable now. Yeah. But for some men out there, for their son to come to them and say something like that, I would have to imagine that some men may feel like they failed somehow. Mm -hmm. Did that ever cross your mind? So... It, it, it is funny because it's, of course, a thought you have like, oh, and I'm not set a good example. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> listen, I, from Jason's story and from other people I know who are gay, who I've had more intimate conversations with about, you know, when they came out and the first signs they had that they might be gay. Um, mm -hmm. I believe you're born uh, with that in you. And so... I on that. Like I so I don't think about it. Now okay. I do know a family where there are two sons who are gay. Like if I was the father and my two boys were both gay, I mm -hmm. would probably struggle more with that. So there's that part about well, how does the father feel about it, just in terms of their role in it. But I would yeah. just tell them, don't even you gotta fight that. The other part is just the stigma of being gay and in the black community, you know, we grew up in the church and, you know, my parents were so active in the church, people who were, um, say gay, but they were like sometimes leaders in the church. They would tell my parents, 
I'm gay, but I can't tell anybody. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about getting married. Women would often ask these guys like, oh, yeah, I'll marry you. They know he's gay to give them coverage so that they wow. can mask this part of them so that they can live normally within the church normally. But it yeah. just tells you the stigma within the black community is crazy. Yeah. Wow. But my wife and I, we were out in the Bay Area. That's where we met. Denise came from New Orleans. They're old school down there. I worked in the gay community at a pharmacy for eight years. God was preparing us, right? Through yeah. our time in San Francisco. <laughs> so. That's true. Wow. That's 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 interesting. Yeah. Um, I wanna I wanna switch it up here for a second. Yeah. And I want to talk about something that recently happened here in the, in the news. And that was the Roe versus Wade decision. And looking at it from a black man's perspective, what advice would you give to young men as to what their responsibilities should be knowing that this decision has come down and moving forward? Yeah, boy, it's deep. Yeah, it's it was always a great responsibility right men have when you go to that level and you have a child be born from your involvement with a woman uh but it's now never it's never been greater than it than yeah. it is going to be now going and going forward as long as we, we're you know living in the wake of this overturned law so we've gotta i mean there has to be a reckoning um that's gonna have to happen i'm gonna be writing about this you know in my business because okay. the impact of uh, this decision on um, health period, but black women health in general, let's talk about before this decision, right? The healthcare disparities for black women for infant mortality is terrible compared to non-black women. Now in the face of this decision, it's unimaginable how bad it can be. So the responsibility of the men uh, have been just indiscriminately being fathers or uh, impregnating women and not even really knowing necessarily how many kids they have that day has to end. So this is so timely that you're doing this because we need to elevate the conversation about what needs to be done to help men take more accountability, be more responsible. We can't have women being pregnant to the degree they currently have been, you know, in the past. It just can't happen. And to all the young brothers out there listening, it's just time to step up, plain and simple. Yes. Yeah. If you're going to be with a woman, if you don't have no intentions on marrying that woman, my advice to you is you better either strap up or not go down that road because (laughs) because it's going to be a life altering decision should that woman get pregnant and you're going to either have to step up before that happens or after it happens. But right. At some point, you're going to have to step or up. <laughs> the, the unfortunate consequence, if a lot of what happens today, you know, continues to happen, which is the men, black men, unfortunately, which is most often, too often the case, not bearing responsibility for that child. Mm-hmm. What's that going to result in for that woman's life, for those yeah. children's lives? You know, yeah. we can't be men. And, and allow that. So you're right, yeah. Tony, we got to step up and we have to be the, those of us who kind of have been fortunate enough to understand why we need to bear the res- these kinds of responsibilities to help impart on brothers, why it's important they do too, no matter what example they've seen or not seen. It's like, 
we all need to step up in a way that, that we've never seen before. I agree. Again, if you're going to go down that road and you're going to get a woman pregnant, you need to not just become another statistic. The days of being babies, daddies need to be over. You know, we need y'all to step up to be fathers and be men. Because if you don't know the difference between a daddy and a father, there is a difference. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> there is, there a, big is one. a difference. It's yes. a big one. Absolutely. So, men, it's 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 time that we get back to what we used to be. You know, we cannot continue to go the way that we're going. Some of the music podcasts that I listen to, they talk about some of the current rap scene and all that stuff. And I just listen to the number of young black men that are in the rap industry that are being killed hmm. almost on a weekly basis. And it's crazy. You guys fight to get out of this, these bad situations that you're in only to make it to die. Mm-hmm. That's true. <laughs> you know, you don't leave that lifestyle behind. And we that's these are all the things that we need to stop doing. It's time that we step up as black men, period. Black fathers, black men, because I, I know men out there that have children by multiple women and they're not in their kids' lives. And that's unfortunate. And as a police officer, I saw that on the daily and I saw, unfortunately, what that did to those kids. Mm-hmm. And it's not pretty. And yeah, some of them make it out, but the majority don't because it becomes a cycle. It becomes a cycle and they get trapped in that in, in that cycle. and is it's just detrimental to them, to us as a people, and overall to society. And it's just something that we really need to step up and change. And one thing um, I'll just say, Tony, is is it's being strong. Like you mentioned, like what what like masculine the demasculinization of men and stuff like that. But and that's one of the reasons I mentioned that book, The Will to Change, because what it, we need to think about what's being a strong black man, yes. and part of what's being a strong black man is being responsible for your decisions, holding accountability, being accountable to yourself for decisions and accountable to someone else. Well, hopefully in your life is the man upstairs. And if so, then we're not going to allow ourselves to act in these ways that we've seen. We're going to get back. We're not going to figure it out all overnight, but we're going to be better about it. And let's, let's start there. Absolutely. Well, man, I think that's a good place to end it right there. If you can do me a favor, can you sh- share your um, social media where people can go out and check you out and, and follow you and everything? I'm going to put links to it down in the so- show notes also. Yeah. Well, you can catch me, of course, on uh, LinkedIn. You know, if you type in Norris Turner, there's not many Norris Turners out there. So you'll find me. Um, same thing in Facebook. Send me a message through Messenger on Facebook again under Norris Turner. And Tony's going to include the links. Um, and I'm happy to, uh, you know, have exchanges with anybody who wants to talk about any topic related to what we've talked about today. Um, I'm very much happy to engage around that. And again, want to thank you, Tony, for uh, the honor of being a part of your first podcast and congratulate you on doing this. And thank you. And again, let you know that I'm here to provide support to that community you want to um, help build because it's always been something that's been important. And like I said, like we talked about, it's never been, been more important than now. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that, man. And, you know, the more people we can get on board, the better, you know, continue doing what you're doing, man. I love you guys. You too. You know, I appreciate you. you guys. Love and you guys. Um, to you, the listener, if you have not done so by, by now, please subscribe to the podcast. Please share the podcast, leave a review. 
Uh, when you do all of those things, it helps us in the algorithms on all of these different platforms. And let's continue this this conversation. Go over to the blackfatherspodcast.com. There's going to be a link down in the show notes and, and, and become a member of the community. And let's finish this conversation over there in the community. I'm still building it out, but it doesn't have to be complete before us to start interacting with with one another. So let's go over and let's let's build up that community and, and, and get all the get all the brothers in there. Norris, man, again, I appreciate you, brother. Tell Denise and, and the family hello. And um, you guys all stay safe. Thank you. And Tom. I was. Yeah, absolutely. I will see you guys all on the next episode. I'm out of here. Bye bye. <laughs>